Bible and turn with me to Genesis chapter 12, if you will. If you don't have a Bible this morning, well, there probably is one in front of you, but don't worry, the words will be on the screen as well. As you're finding your place there, I want to just share a, a couple things before we get started. First of all, let me say Happy New Year. Uh, as Nick said earlier, you are the finest looking church we've seen in all year, and uh, says a lot. But thank you for being here this morning, and thank you for... Uh, just how you've blessed us, my family, and I think I'm a, I can speak on the behalf of our staff as well. You've blessed us tremendously with your cards, your gifts, your kind words during the Christmas season. So thank you so much for that, church. Uh, we are truly blessed, and I dearly love uh, being a part of this church, having the privilege to pastor you. You're a fine, fine people, and I consider it an incredible privilege to be a part of, of Red Lane. So thank you so much. It's a new day um, because it's a new year. But if you look in your bulletin there on the very back, you'll see some very good news as it pertains to New Day. You know, New Day is our capital campaign that we are in the process of receiving. It's a three-year campaign where we're uh, funding what's going to be our building project. We'll be starting, hopefully, at some point this spring uh, on our office building, which will allow us then to come in and renovate some space in this facility that we're setting in. And so we're looking forward to that. But if you'll see there, I mean, we've had an incredible amount of giving toward this campaign just in about two months of giving, well over $106,000 there given toward that on the way to 724. So to God be the glory for that, amen. And then you can look down at Lottie Moon. I mean, we gave almost, as, as of last Sunday, uh, almost $13,000 for the nations. And our, if you're not a part of Southern Baptist Church and you're wondering, what is Lottie Moon? Who's that lady? Um, Lottie Moon is our international mission offering. And all that money goes directly to the field for missionaries overseas to, to use it, to do ministry, uh, to fund them, and, and f- so they can do what they can do over there. And so... Uh, I'm grateful for a church that gives to Lottie Moon. I was talking with one of our deacons this morning. We are just talking about some of these good numbers. And uh, the statement was made that this is a giving church. I mean, over the last few years, we've given uh, dozens of thousands of dollars. And we typically give over 20000 a year. We typically would make a, a large goal. But because of all the other things we're doing, we just said, we're not, we're not going to do a goal this year. And we didn't do a goal, and, and we're still well above where we used to be in our giving toward Lottie Moon. So thank you, church, for being a church that gives to that. Also, the budget giving is, is above where it needs to be, but uh, we, we're always grateful for that, right? <laughs> I don't know if you guys pay attention to that stuff, but, but we, I do and many others do, and so thank you. It really is an in, indicative of a church that's healthy when our giving is where it needs to be. So thank you for, for that. Uh, it's a new year, it's a new day, it's also a new semester for us. And so this Wednesday, all of our activities will kick off again. We'll share more about this in the announcement video at the end of the service. But I just wanted to highlight a few things here. Wednesday night dinners begin this Wednesday at 5.30. Our team kit, our adult classes, all of those things will begin again. And so in your bulletin, you have some information about the life development class. We're offering a couple different ones. The new one that we're offering is called Relationships Matter. If you're sitting there thinking, well, I don't really want to go to a marriage class, this is not a marriage class. It will deal with marriage, but it is a class on relationships. And if you're a human being that lives next to people, lives with people, interacts with people, goes to the store occasionally, then you have relationships, and, and you probably need to learn how to have stronger relationships in your life. I, I know I do as well, and so this is a class for you. I want to encourage you to be a part of that beginning this Wednesday. And then you'll look in your bulletin, you'll see a little blue insert. Our Marriage Enrichment Weekend is coming up in February. Some of my good, good friends, my best friend in the world, is coming to lead this event for us a Friday, a Saturday, and a Sunday morning uh, for us. It's going to be a great opportunity. I want to encourage you to sign up. It's not just for those whose marriage is on the rocks. It's not just for those whose marriage is wonderful. and It's like the, they're the apex of what a marriage should be. This is for everybody. Everyone can learn. No one has arrived in your marriage. And if you think you have arrived, let me spend five minutes with your spouse and he or she will tell you that you have not arrived, right? Right? You just get along with Kara, she'll tell you how horrible, no, I'm just kidding. She'll tell you a few things about me that are not what they need to be because that's true of all of us. So I want to encourage you, whether you've been married one month or 60 years, I want to encourage you to be a part of this marriage enrichment weekend. One of the things that you're going to learn during this weekend is how to pray, not just for your spouse, but how to pray with your spouse. And that's one of those things that scares all of us. And I believe this is going to be one of the pivotal moments of the weekend is how to learn 
to pray with your spouse. And, and, and learning the, the whole concept of my, my marriages is not just to meet my needs. It's so that we can help each other disciple one another. That's another thing that's going to come out of this weekend. So I want to encourage you to be a part of that. Get signed up. It is extremely cheap. $25 per couple if you're single. And I would encourage singles to come because if you're not married, hopefully you'll be married one day. Uh, we'll, we'll let you come for $15. So basically you're paying for dinner and you're paying for breakfast on Saturday morning and everything else is free. So make sure you're a part of the Marriage Enrichment Weekend coming up in February. And the last little preview I wanted to share before we get into the Word this morning is you'll see there in your bulletin coming up next Sunday after small groups, we're going to have a mission trip preview meeting. We're going to highlight the three international trips and the stateside trip that we're planning for the year of 2019. And so if you're interested in going to Sweden, interested in going to Barcelona, interested in going to Calcutta, India on a vision trip, I'm going to take a few people with me to go and uh, kind of see the work over there. Donna and, and Gautam were here with us back in December, and so we're going to go over there and just kind of see their work and how we can partner into the future. Or if you're interested in going to Ann Arbor, Michigan, perhaps this summer, on a mission trip to work with a potential church planning partnership that we are looking at, this is an information meeting for you to learn what those trips are going to be like, what they might cost, and get any questions you need answered, answered. All right? One last thing. I said it was one last thing a while ago, but as a new year, we are starting a new Bible reading. Many of you have already began, and I want to encourage you to continue to do that. But up here in the front, you've got information about our Bible reading plan that we're using this year. You can also use the uh, Uversion app. Um, some of you have already signed up. You're tracking along with me, and so we're getting to comment and see each other's comments. It's a really neat thing. But I want to encourage you to read the Bible through this year. Several of you did it in 2018. I want to encourage you to do it in 2019. I've been doing it for 17 consecutive years. I'm in my 18th year of reading through the Bible within a year. And I don't say that to brag. I say that because I've learned and grown so much in the knowledge of God's Word. My faith has been deepened because of just a simple, consistent diet on the Word of God. And I want to encourage you to read the Bible through each and every year. All right. Genesis chapter 12 is where we're going to be this morning. Before we read the text and before we really talk about uh, what we're going to be looking at this morning, I'm going to share a, a few thoughts. I was at my brother-in-law and my sister's house a couple weeks ago over Christmas in Arkansas, and we got to watching this History Channel show about some of the guys, the men who built, in their opinion, built America. And so let me just kind of share some history with you. Fighting back from the bloodshed of the Civil War. So put your in the, yourself in the context of post-Civil War America. So here they are fighting back for the bloodshed of the Civil War and all the detriment that came from that. After the war, 35 short years, America, there at the turn of the century, had grown into one of those powerful countries in all of the world. This tremendous advancement the country was experiencing, our country was experiencing, there at the turn of the 20th century was fueled by a group of very strong, visionary men who were seeking to build a better future for themselves, but also it turned into being a better future for the nation. And so Cornelius Vanderbilt, he connected our country through the railroad. John D. Rockefeller used his trademark ruthlessness as an oil tycoon to fuel or to light up the homes in this country from coast to coast. Cities at that time were expanding to the sky, built on the strength of Andrew Carnegie's steel. And then under J.P. Morgan's control, electricity was beginning to power our nation. In 35 short years following the Civil War, this country had changed faster than ever before in its history, which created, obviously, an enormous amount of wealth for these men and others like them. For example, Rockefeller, and I found this mind-blowing, but Rockefeller, Carnegie, which many people pronounce Carnegie, and J.P. Morgan, those three men, at the peak of their power, were worth over $1 trillion in today's value. They were worth more than the entire net worth of today's 40th, 40 richest people alive. That's how wealthy those three men were. This advancement came with a high price, as you can imagine. 
Due to their immense wealth, they literally controlled the country. Rockefeller himself lured in 1% of the nation's economy. And so what we saw there at the beginning of the 20th century was the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. And so as you look at their stories, hear their stories, they're reminiscent of Ebenezer Scrooge from Charles Dickens and A Christmas Carol or Mr. Potts there in It's a Wonderful Life. You think of these men who have wealth and power and prestige and and they keep pressing down and, and oppressing those who are below them. But that's not, however, what we see in the life and the stories of these men. Now, I don't think we can call these men saints. I don't think that everything they did was absolutely wonderful. But each of them, in the latter parts of their lives, became major philanthropists, giving away hundreds of millions of dollars to museums, to universities, to churches, and to nonprofits of all kinds. Something happened in the lives of Rockefeller, Carnegie, Morgan, and Vanderbilt that led them to the place where they began to understand that it's more blessed to give than to receive. In fact, they took great joy, great pleasure in giving their wealth away rather than just simply seeking to build an empire unto themselves. Perhaps in some way they began to understand the truth that it is truly more blessed to give than to, re- than to receive. Today we're beginning a series called Bless Every Home like you see on the screen. Now there are no Carnegie's and there's no Rockefellers here this morning, but if there are some, I'd like to meet you. We got a campaign that we're running. We could use some of your your cash. And I want you to set at ease this morning. This bless every home is not about finances. I know I started with that. It's not about finances. You see, each of us who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior have been blessed. You've been blessed in so many more ways than just monetarily. You see, monetary wealth is nothing more than temporary blessings. It lacks the ability to transform a person. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, the gift that we've been given, the thing that we now possess, is something that's eternal. It's something that's life transforming. We've been blessed with a message of the gospel. We've been blessed with a message of Jesus Christ and what he's come to do for us. The good news of the gospel. Like Vanderbilt, like Carnegie, Rockefeller and Morgan, we too are to be philanthropists. Now, I'm not talking this morning that we should go and give our resources to others, but we should do that, amen? I mean, the things that I've just commended you for giving, that is part of us being philanthropists. But bless every home is not about you giving dollars to someone or to something. It's about you as using your life as a blessing to others, all of your life, especially the spiritual side. You see, God has blessed us so that we might be a blessing to others, I mean, this this morning, I want to just ask a question. Do you really believe that God desires to bless you? Do you really believe that God desires to pour into your life until there is no more need, so that it's overflowing in your life? There's abundance for all things. And if you believe so, what is the purpose in all of that? Is it so that you just have a bunch of, of stuff, a bunch of blessings, a bunch of goodness in your life? Or is the overflow so that it runs out and is a blessing to other people? I believe it's so that others will be blessed as you are blessed. Sometimes when we hear that statement of God desiring to bless us, our minds immediately think of material blessing. And and I'm sure the Bible teaches, and it does teach that we are materially blessed, but he's given us more than that. He's given us the spiritual blessing of salvation. We think about how God desires to bless us. Do we think of the gospel? Do we think about the, the 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 message that's changed our life, the salvation that's pervaded and invaded our hearts. This morning and over the next several weeks, what we're going to do is we talk about blessing every home. We're going to see that God desires to bless every home in our community, and he wants to do it through you and through us as a church. And so this morning, I want us to begin examining this statement, this concept of you are blessed. You are blessed. That's what we're going to speak to this morning. Here in Genesis chapter 12, we're going to see God coming, speaking to Abram, calling him to himself, and issuing him a blessing or a promise of blessing that wasn't just for him, but it was literally for everyone who would come after him. Look with me, if you will, there in Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. And let me just 
apologize for my voice. It's better today. On Friday, I sounded like a boy going through puberty. And so I've, I've grown since Friday, I guess. Uh, I've had a chest cold the last couple days. I don't think I'm contagious. I haven't ever had a fever. I just feel uh, a little congested in my, in my chest. It's more in my throat so, in my voice box. But look there in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At, at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. As we begin to read here in the first few pages of the Bible, as we begin to hear and to see these stories of mankind as it is progressing, we learn that the sin of Adam permeated every aspect of the human heart. You see, Adam's sinfulness was found in the heart and the mind and the life of his son Cain, who there in Genesis chapter 4 rose up and killed his brother Abel. That sinful heart created a culture of evil so great that God regretted that he had made man. There in Genesis chapter 6, verse 6, you see God expressing this regret. I regret that I've made them, he said. In response to this evil, God called out Noah and his family to be saved through the ark. And through the flood that was coming, he judged and killed the rest of humanity. Sin, however, persisted. It was still contained within the hearts of humanity. And so after Noah and the flood, this culture of evil began to grow again. It moved and we come to Genesis chapter 11. In chapter 11 we see the people in the world living at that day in this culture of evil, seeking to make a name for themselves, seeking to make a city for themselves, and building a tower up into the heavens so that in some way they be- could become like God. Genesis 11, God destroys the the Tower of Babel. He scatters the people. He confuses their language. But we see this culture of evil being pervasive and continuing on. God at this point doesn't judge the whole world. He doesn't destroy the whole world. He just scatters them. And then he looks to Abram and he calls him to himself. God never forsook them, but he calls out to them. And in calling out Abram, sometimes we may look at Abram and look at this passage in Genesis 12 and say something like this, Abram must have been a God-fearer, Abram must have been a God-seeker, there must have been something good in Abram, but that's not the case at all. The man here in Genesis 12 was not a seeker of God. In fact, the Bible tells us about his family heritage at the end of chapter 11 where we see Terah and his sons, Abram being one of them, and they live in Ur of the Chaldeans, and we know a little bit about this land, about this city and the culture there. In fact, Sir Leonard Woolley, back in the 1920s and 30s, led an expedition to excavate the ancient Mesopotamian city of Ur. There he uncovered the royal cemetery of Ur with its large cache of gold objects and evidence of human sacrifice. He unearthed the remains of Ur's great ziggurat, the the square or rectangular tower probably reminiscent of the Tower of Babel. Those were prevalent in the area of that age. And they found the ruins of that ziggurat topped with the temple of Nana, the moon god. He also discovered the palace of Ur-Namu, the temples of Ningal and Enki, and the great death pit which contained the bodies of 73 servants arranged in sacrifice around Queen Puabi's gorgeously decorated corpse. You see, these treasures of Ur, these, these 
Items of antiquity tell us about Abram's social and religious context. They inform us that it was a sophisticated, pagan, and claustrophobic society, just like the Babylonian and the Egyptian dynasties. Ur was desolate. It was barren of the knowledge of the true God. Ur was a spiritually dark place. It was just like the space in Abram's heart. Black as coal, spiritually dark and blind. And yet it was in this darkness in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, that God speaks life and he brings light into Abram's heart. It was into this darkness that he calls out Abram and promises to him a blessing. And today, God speaks in the very same way. He calls into the darkness of our hearts and to the hearts of those who live next door to us and he promises his blessing. And this morning, I want us to talk about this blessing. We are blessed. How are we blessed? Let me first of all, lay out the requirements for God's blessings. The requirements here for God's blessing. Look at verse 1 and the first uh, little bit of verse 2. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great. That's an incredible promise. In fact, when we read these first couple verses, most time, if not all the time, we want to run to verse 2 and say, I want that. I want to be a blessing. I want to have the blessing. I want to have a great name. I want to have all these great promises from God. But you can't have what's promised in verse 2 until you first go through what's said and required of in verse 1. To be blessed by God, you have to do two things. And let me share with these quickly. First of all, you must go from your old life And secondly, you must go to your new life. Look what he says in verse 1. Abram, I want you to go from your country, your kindred, your father's house to the land that I will show you. I want you to go from your, your, your homeland and your family and everything you're acquainted with, and I want you to go to a new place that I have yet to tell you, and I want you to follow me there. And so God here tells Abram to leave his country. He tells him to leave his people. He tells him to leave his family and go to a place that he's not even told him about yet. Can you imagine getting those marching orders? Can you imagine someone buying you a ticket and saying, you know what? I love you, but you need to get out of here. Here's a ticket to nowhere. Would you take that? First of all, you can be offended by it. You don't really want me here. But God here is calling Abram and saying, I want you to leave and I want you to go. I want you to leave your old life behind and I want you to pursue me in this new life that that I'm calling you to. See, Abram is not being told by God that God hated his family. Abram's not being told by God that you need to hate your country. He's not being told by God that you need, to, you need to hate the people that you're from. No, he's not being told that at all. But what God is saying to Abram is this. You have to leave the culture and you have to leave the lifestyle of this pagan world behind and you must pursue now a new life in God whom, who has spoken to you and who has called you to himself. And so he was to go to a new land and to a new Lord. Today each of us must answer the same call. We just answer this same call in our own life. God calls us to repent, to turn from our sin and idolatry, and to turn to him. We're to leave the old life behind, and we're to pursue God in this new life in Jesus Christ. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. So Abram, at this point, here in verse 2, was faced with a major decision. The Bible says that Abram, by faith, believed God and left Ur, and the blessing of God followed him. You see this in Romans chapter 4. You see it in chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews, where the New Testament testifies that this was a moment in Abram's life where he said yes to God, and God accounted it to him as righteousness. He became a child of God when he, in faith, stepped away from his old life and pursued a new life in the Lord. And so leaving your old life behind and pursuing your new life in Christ comes by faith. Today, if you've never repented of your sin, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that's the number one thing that you need to do today. 
I was a freshman in college. I was 18 years old. I was a religious kid. I went through my testimony sitting there with my brother-in-law and sister uh, a week or so ago and just talking through that. I don't think my sister remembers some of that stuff. And, and so I had to, to leave even a religious life behind and say yes to a new life in Jesus Christ. And if you've not done that today, needs to be the day, needs to be the day of salvation for you. Second thing that we see here about the blessing is this. Let's talk about the realities of God's blessing. As you think about salvation, you think about this new life in Christ, it should lead us to ask a question, why? Why has God blessed me with salvation? We've sung about this salvation this morning. We've sung about Jesus. I mean, the last song we sung, Living Hope, uh, this, this great chasm that, that lays between God and you and I when we are in our sin, when we're in our old life, that sinful life. There's this great chasm that we cannot pass to get to God, and God cannot pass to get to us, but he sent his son to die on, our, on a cross so that his blood could pay the penalty for our sin. Thus, Jesus becomes the bridge, bridging God to sinful humanity. Why in the world would God do that for us? Why would he bless us in such a way? Let me share with you some answers to that question and as we talk about these realities. First of all, God's blessing is to be received. As we think about this blessing, as we try to understand it, we first need to see that this blessing has to be received. Look at verse 2. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you, make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In this promise that God is making over and over again, he keeps reiterating, he keeps mentioning this idea of blessing, which I believe in the English is, is five different mentions of this blessing. It's really seven different pictures in the Hebrew. And so God is emphatically saying, I desire to pour blessing into your life. And first and foremost, that blessing is the blessing of my presence in your life. Why does God do that for us? He does it so that we would receive it into our lives. You see, this Christmas season, as you were offered gifts from your family and friends, for that gift to be a blessing to your life, what did you have to do? You have to receive it. Now, some of you probably took it. Some of you probably pushed people out of the way to get underneath the tree to rip the, prep, rap, the wrapper off, right? I mean, my kids were like that. I was like that a little bit. Ah, I'm not afraid to say. You know, I like Christmas time. I like getting gifts. I like getting new things. I got a new shirt. You can see this new shirt. Really, My wife decked me out this, this Christmas season. Blessings have to be received. So in order for Abraham, Abram here to become a great nation like God is promising, and for, in order for him to have a great name, he had to receive the blessing that God had promised. He had to meet the requirements found in verse 1. See, Abram here met those requirements. He believed God, which was demonstrated by the fact that he left his homeland, that he moved on to this new land. And today, God desires to bless you. He desires to bless me. Ultimately, this blessing is, as we've been saying, the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. He wants to bless you with new and eternal life. He wants to change your heart. He wants to give you new and holy desires. He wants to replace your fear uh, and stress with hope and peace. But like Abram, you have to receive it in order to experience it. It's a gift. Second reality is this. God's blessing is to be relayed to others. It's to be passed on to others. He Again, in verses 2 and 3, we see this, this promise, I will make you a great nation. I'm going to be a blessing to you so that you will be a blessing to others. See, Abram was never just to hoard this. He was never just to hold on to it and keep it to himself. I heard a story this week about two friends who had not seen each other in a long time, and the two friends ran into each other on the street. And so one of the men, as they approached one another, uh, looked really sad. He looked really somber on his face. He had that sort of pers uh, glow about him, that there was something wrong in his life. And so the man asked him, Joe, what's wrong with you, man? What, why do you seem so down? And so Joe responded and told his friend that three weeks ago, one of his uncles died and, and left him $100,000. The friend said, well, Joe, I, 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 I'm, that's sad. I'm so sorry for your loss, but your uncle left you $100,000. He's blessed you. There ought to be something that you could be happy about. Why are you, so still, why are you still so sad? Joe responded, well, 
in addition to that, two weeks ago, I had a cousin die, and that cousin gave me $500,000. And so the friend now was blown away. Wow, you've been given now another $500,000. I'm sorry you experienced two deaths in two weeks, but think about how they have blessed you. Why are you still so sad? And Joe responded, well, last week I had another family member die. I had a great aunt, or as you Virginians say, aunt. My aunt I didn't even know her. That's I, I just can't. I'm, I speak Arkansas, Arkansas. And when I say aunt, that just sounds funny to me. And you probably think when I say aunt, I'm speaking of bugs. But um, well, my aunt, who I really didn't even know, she said, left me $1 million. And so this friend is like blown away even more. I mean, he's thinking, wow, you've been given $1.6 million. You've lost some family members, but you really didn't even know them that well, you know. Um, Joe, why are you so sad? Obviously, you've lost loved ones. Obviously, all this stuff. But there's something to be excited about in this. Joe went on to say, well, this week, no one's died and left me anything. That's the punchline. I say that as a joke, obviously, not a true story. But are we not like that sometimes? Are we not like that sometimes? God's blessed us in tremendous ways. You're healthy. Life's going good. Stock market's been good for up until the last several weeks. Uh, car's not broken down. You just go through the litany of things in your life that are a blessing. But, and, and, and oftentimes you may thank the Lord for that. But you get to that point in your life, which always happens. I mean, our lives are like this, right? They're up and down. It's part of living in this fallen world. But as you experience the blessings of God, and, and all of a sudden when something, just that one little thing hits you wrong, you immediately get to the place of where in the world is God in all of this? Why is God forsaking me? Why is God doing this to me? Why is God being mean to me? Where is God? He's supposed to be faithful to me. And yet all the time, he's been faithful to you. In fact, even in your heartache and trouble, he's still faithful to you. But we, like this guy, rather than counting our blessings, say, where in the world is God in all this? I think we do that because we think the blessings are for ourselves. God has blessed you, and God has blessed me. God has blessed as a church, us as a church, not so that we can hold on to it, but so that we can send it on. Your life, my life, our lives as a church family, we're to be a conduit of the blessings and the provision and the goodness and the salvation of God. We're to be a conduit so that those blessings can pass on to the people who live next door to you, live next door to us, so that our community can be blessed. We are to be those who receive God's blessing and then relay them on to the people who are around us. You've been blessed not just to receive but to relay. You see, when you think about this, you look at it, you see it all throughout Scripture, what do you find? You find this. This is God's missiological strategy. This is His gospel great commission strategy to get the Word of God to the nations, to get the gospel to your neighbor. How's He going to do it? He's going to use you. He doesn't just pick up somebody from the other side of the world typically and bring them to your house in your neighborhood when you're already stationed there. No, you're the missionary in your neighborhood. You're the missionary on the assembly line at your factory. You're the missionary in the school where you go to school. You are the missionary that God has placed there to take the blessings of God and relay them on to others. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 9, 8. He says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. You see what he's saying here? All grace abounds to you. You have all sufficiency so that you may abound in every good work. So you're not to take what the, the grace and the goodness that God's give you. No, he's given it to you so that you may abound in giving it to someone else. That's what it's about. Relay it on to other people. And our God desires to bless every home, every family, and every person. How does he do it? He does it by leveraging the blessings he's placed in your life. To leverage them for kingdom purposes. And the greatest blessing he's given us is the gift of his son. We've heard, we've believed on the gospel, and so now we must share it with others. God wants to use the gift of the gospel in your life to be a blessing so that others who have yet to hear and believe may hear and believe. is to be relayed. 
And just as God desired to bless every nation through the blessing of Abraham, he desires to bless your neighborhood through this blessing. He wants to use Powhatan to be a blessing, or, or to be, use Red Lane to be a blessing to the people of Powhatan. He wants to use our church even to be a blessing to the nations. And God's plan for your life is that you would be a light of his grace shining in the darkness of your neighborhood and in the darkness of your community, just like Abram was. Third reality, I got to hurry. Nothing's changed in the new year. I still preach long. God's blessing is not to be returned. Look at verse 4. I found this interesting this week. It just jumped off the page at me. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Here's the kicker. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And then in verse 9, Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. The blessings are not to be returned. What in the world do you mean by that, Pastor? Do you see how old Abram was? He's 75 years old. He was a senior adult when the call of God came upon his life. This ought to be enlightening for us because there are some Christians, and I'm not just saying here, but in general, there are Christians all over our nation who would say this, God, I'm just too old to do that. I put in my time. I've done my thing. I'm in the retirement ages of my life. I'm not obligated to do it. I'm not obligated to be a part of that. That's someone else's duty. No, that's not true at all. Here's a statement I want you to hear. There's no such thing as retirement in the economy of God. Until the day you draw your last breath and you're physically and mentally capable, you can and should be a part of the work of God in this world. And so Abram here is a senior adult, and he's hearing the call of God upon his life, and he says yes to this call, and he moves out in obedience and in faith. We're not to take the blessing that God's given us and say, no thanks, Lord, I don't want to be a part of that. Oh, but give me the salvation part. I just don't want to be a part of the mission side. Give me my fire insurance. I don't want to go to hell when I die, and I'd like to live a nice, comfortable life, but please Don't do anything that would force me out of a comfort zone where I'd actually have to go across the road and share the gospel with someone, where I'd actually have to spend 10 minutes a day praying for my neighbor, or that I might have to get in a conversation with a classmate or with a coworker that might be a little bit uncomfortable because I'm burdened for his soul or her soul. I don't want to be a part of that. That's not what Abraham said at all. He said, yes, Lord, and went. Fourth reality. God's blessing leads to rejoicing. In verses 5 through 8, we see how Abram, he gets to the land of Canaan. He didn't know where he was going. He just picked up and left. He just kind of, sort of like the, the, the three wise men following the star. They just kind of, he just following the direction of the Lord in his life day by day. And he winds up in Canaan. And there God promises, here's the land that I'm going to give to you. You're going to have offspring. God, I don't have a son right now. How in the world am I going to have an offspring? How am I going to be a, a man of nations? How are kings going to come for me? All of these things didn't compute at this point. And if you're reading on the same pattern that we're reading right now, biblically, we read this text yesterday. We read it uh, 13, 14, and 15 today. And so we're learning about Abram and Abraham's life as he came to be known. But he just walked with God day by day. He gets to the land of Canaan, and he begins to worship. But also something else we see. When he got to Canaan, he's found something very similar to home. He found paganism and idolatry very similar to what he left in Ur. You see, he tells us here that at Shechem he went to the oak, or at least went by the oak of Morah. Morah in Hebrew means teacher or oral giver. And so in other words, this great tree, this oak tree of Morah, was the place that the Canaanites assembled to hear the oracles that soothsayers received from the rustling of the leaves. This was some part of their pagan worship. And so rather than joining in these pagan practices that were very similar to what he was used to back with the Chaldeans, now what does, Moses, or what does Abraham do? He builds an altar and he begins to declare his faith by worshiping and rejoicing and who God is. He does it there at Shechem. He goes on to between Bethel and Ai and does the same thing. Everywhere that Abram went in this new land, he's not following his old practices of life. He's walking in this new life and he's saying, I'm a follower of the one true God. Elohim is his name. I've I've never seen him, but I've heard his voice and he's called out to me and I want to worship him and I want you to worship him too. In fact, many people say that the people who traveled with Abram 
at this point weren't slaves as we would think of them as slaves. They were people who were drawn to the preaching of Abram about this new God. And they fell into his caravan and became followers of Abram who followed God. As he rejoiced in this new life and this new Savior that we know of as Jesus Christ. Abram was a light in a dark world. And as he worshipped God in that dark world, what he did was he pointed to the one true God who could transform their lives. This morning, God has blessed us so that we might be a blessing to others. Now, I want you to consider a couple of questions here. And then I'm going to move in and, and share with you a tool that Steve introduced last week. Here's a couple of questions I want you to consider. Is your neighborhood today blessed because you live there? Think about that for a second. People on my street, are they better off because you live there? Because I live there. If you were to move away, would anybody notice? God forbid they say, I'm glad that crabby person's gone. I'm glad that complainer's out of here. I'm glad that troublemaker's gone. That dude was annoying. Man, I didn't like her voice. She was a mean-spirited woman. God forbid they ever say that about you, but if that's what they remember when you're gone, when you're gone, that's terrible. I hope they would say this. Our street's never going to be the same again. There's something missing from our neighborhood because these people, this individual was such a blessing to me. They loved me. They cared for me. I know they had my best interests at heart. Here's a second question. Here's a second question. <laughs> that's a clue, Caleb. Is our community blessed? Because of our presence as a church. Now, this is a question I've thought about a lot. If Red Lane folded up today and ceased to be a church, would anybody in Powhatan know? Or would they just say, you know, I used to see a sign called Red Lane that was on the corner of 60 and, and Red Lane Road, but I don't see that sign anymore. I wonder what happened to them. There's a lot of churches that fold every single year, and their community never notices. Would the people of Powhatan, the people of Greater Richmond, would they, would they sense something missing because Red Lane Baptist Church was no longer a church? And that can happen. And I'm not here to give you a doomsday thing. I'm not here to say that our church is dying or declining. We're not doing that at all. But everything has a life cycle. You, will, you were born, you're living, and you will die unless Jesus returns. Churches are born, they thrive, and then they die. That's a fact of life. The only thing that makes the difference on a church's longevity is what you do within that lifespan to continue to thrive. You have to create, be innovative. You have to reinvent yourself. You have to do things to continue to be relative and engaging to the culture God's called you to engage. And so the reason churches die is because they cease to do those things. Would our community be any different if we were not here? And so this morning, what kind of spiritual philanthropy are you doing in your neighborhood? What are we doing in spiritual philanthropy as a church in our area? What are we doing among the nations? Steve last week introduced this tool that we're going to look at here in just a minute. It's called Bless Every Home. It's not a, it's not a new initiative. It's not a new uh, trick. It's not a new sleek thing. It is a tool. Every one of us should be sharing our faith with our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers, classmates, everybody around us. We should be actively engaged in them. This is a tool to help you be, to be strategic in doing that. And so if you've got a smartphone right now, this is the one place that I would say take your smartphone out and do something besides listen to me on it. You can take your smartphone, open your internet browser, whether it's Safari or whatever, go to blesseveryhome.com, and you can sign up using an email address and get get going on this. And so Bless Every Home is the website. Our state convention website is on there as well. It gives you a link to be able to sign up, but it also gives you all kinds of helps that will help you uh, with some other things that we'll be doing through this process. But I want you to go to the next thing, because I'm going to walk through this with you again. I think you did it last week, but let me just kind of maybe slowly and methodically in the next 30 seconds do this. Go to the next slide, Caleb. There's four aspects to this, and we're going to preach to it over, starting next Sunday. Pray, care, share, disciple. And so what Bless Every Home is all about, it's a way to strategically help you think through and to navigate who to pray for, who to care for, obviously who to, go back a second, 
who to share with, and ultimately to disciple. So you want to pray with people. Then you want to, as you're praying, you want to look for opportunities and ways to care for them. You know, if you see that they have a new baby, you, you take a gift over there. You go over and just uh, help them anyway. Can I babysit for you? What can I do to help you? It's just a way to, to care in a very tangible way. Then obviously you want that to lead to an opportunity to share the gospel with them. You want to walk through the gospel with them. And that could come in all kinds of different ways. And then as you share, you're going to have the opportunity to lead people to faith in Jesus Christ. But you don't leave them there. Now you're discipling them. It's a good opportunity. That as you're praying for people in your neighborhood and people are starting to come to faith in Jesus over the next few years, you start a home Bible study or, or you're doing one-on-one, but you're discipling them in their faith, incorporating them back into the life of the church. So now let's look at the website, this tool. BlessEveryHome.com. This is the login page. This is mine. You'll see my name there. On the front there, you'll see that these are prayers. At that point, when I took this screenshot a, a few days ago, these are the number of prayers that's been prayed through people using this tool, or 2,125,000 or so prayers at that, point, at that point that have been made uh, with people who are using this tool. Go to the next slide. Uh, once you log in, you'll come to this dashboard, and you'll see there I've got 40 homes that I've adopted in my neighborhood and my surrounding areas to pray for, to care for, to share, and to disciple. And at this point, I have prayed for 29 of those homes. I have cared for one, and um, um, blue is another thing. That's a person who's a believer, and, and yet green stands for disciple. And so there's the dashboard, all the information there. Uh, go to the next slide. <coughs> As you sign up at that dashboard and all those things, you will be able to uh, determine how many days a week you would like to see to receive emails uh, to remind you and to give you a list of people to pray for. And so every day, uh, mine's set up for five days a week, so Monday through Friday, I get an email from Bless Every Home with a list of names. You'll see that. I don't know if you can read their names, but those are five names that were from Friday's list of people to pray for, and it's really neat. I mean, it's, it's not like a guessing game. I don't have to think through who have I prayed for or not prayed for. It just works through my neighborhood day by day. Go to the next slide. And then you can click on that email, and it'll take you to the map, or you can just click after you pray through that list, and it'll, just, it'll do the work for you. But if you click on the map, it'll take you to, uh, in, in your dashboard area, this is a map of my neighborhood. You'll see the red, the people I've prayed for. You see the one I've cared for is my neighbor. In fact, that, that one of the daughters or the daughter is here with us this morning. And then um, there's a blue dot on there. That's a follower of Jesus Christ, not someone I've discipled, but that's uh, Rick and Denise Davis that live on my road. And so um, it just lays out everyone else is in gray is yet to be prayed for because they've not come up on my list just as of yet. The next slide. Uh, this is another way uh, of seeing who are the lights, people who have signed up with this tool in our community who are also doing the same thing. And so you'll see four or five people who are registered to be lights. This is what you are in this service. You're saying, I'm a light in my community, and these are others. And so I think Debbie's one of them, and then some other folks are people from Old Powhatan who are also using this tool as well. And so this is a good way to see that we're not in this alone. We're all doing this together. We're being a light in our community. And the more light you have in the community, you know what happens? It gets brighter. If it was dark today, or right now, and we had one candle in here, how, light would, how bright would it be? Pretty dim, right? One candle can't illuminate a whole room of this size, but if you've got 100 lights in here, 100 candles, it's like noonday, right? That's what it's all about. We want, to in, we want to infiltrate our community with the light of the gospel, and we do that as being the light. I think there's another slide. No, there's not. All right. <clears throat> all right. Here's the question. Will you pass the blessing God has given you to those who live around you? Will you be a light shining in the darkness of your neighborhood? I hope you will do that. Up here in the front, you can uh, take this, these yellow sheets. I believe they're on every side that will kind of walk through on paper what I've just tried to share with you. Maybe you've already done it on your phone, but I would encourage you to do it this afternoon. Do it while it's fresh. We're going to continue to speak to this. But if you want to be the light that Abram was to his culture, this is a great tool to use. Is this the end-all, be-all? No. You don't have to do this to be a, a light. But I don't know about you, but I like things that help me think more strategically. I like things that keep me on point, that remind me. There's things that I forget. I mean, you, I know you can't believe that, but I forget things from time to time. I want those prompts. I like those things come to me saying, hey, you need to get busy. You need to be praying for these people today. You need to be thinking about these people today. And what, here's a really cool thing. 
as you begin to pray for these people that you probably don't even know, God gives you opportunities to meet them. But more than that, God gives you a heart for them. Uh, a few weeks ago, before we left for Christmas break, I was, it was Sunday afternoon, and my new neighbor was outside shooting his 22. Now, no one in my neighborhood shoots very often. I've shot a couple times, but it's only like once and I go hide. But uh, I just, you know, you have that little boy in you that says, I just want to shoot something. So you go shoot a, a can or something. But I, I've just never sat out there and routinely shot. He shot for like two hours, right? And so I was outside. It was kind of warm that day. And, and um, I'd killed a deer a few weeks before. Harrison is the deer that we killed, or I killed when we were together. And so the head had been out there, and, and I wanted to make Euro mount, and I just hadn't got around to skinning it, but it had been cold, so it didn't stink real bad. But that day it was getting kind of warm. <laughs> this is a gross story. So I'm out there, and I'm, he's, my neighbor's shooting, and I'm out there, and I'd just gotten started. I mean, I got gloves on. I'm, I'm cutting hide off and all this stuff. And I see this woman walking down my, my driveway. If you've been to my house, it's a long, uh, steep driveway. And I see this woman dressed like she's been to church. She comes walking down. And she comes over and, and asks me who's been shooting. I'm like, I, I'm like, not me. I haven't been doing it. It's, it's that guy. And uh, so we talked a little bit. She told me her name, and I remembered her name. I was like, hey, I thought, I've been praying for you. I know who you are. I didn't say this. Come to find out she lives behind us across the creek and uh, really b- behind my neighbor. And so I uh, just got to meet her, strike up a conversation. We haven't seen each other since then. I mean, I, they live in a different neighborhood three miles around the road. But God does those things as you pray for people. It changes your heart, and he gives you opportunities to share the gospel. Will you be a light in your community? Will we as a church be a light in our community? Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for being our light. Just like Abram and the people of Ur, every one of us apart from Christ, are lost, lost in the darkness of sin, without hope, cut off from Christ, cut off from the God who created us for himself. But Lord Jesus, I thank you that you came to this earth. You lived a perfect life. You died on a cross as a sacrifice, paying the penalty for our sin. You rose from the dead, conquering hell, hell, death, and the grave. And so today, you call to us and you say, come to me, receive my forgiveness, confess your sin, turn from that, and come follow me. And when we do that, we have new life. And with that new life, though, comes a great privilege. And that is to turn around to the others who live around us and say, I found somebody that can change your life. Lord, it's just like the lady in John chapter 4, that Samaritan woman who is living a life of sin, an outcast even in her own culture. But when she met Jesus, she went into the city and said, come see a man that's told me everything I ever did. And it wasn't that she was saying, come hear a guy that condemned me. No, she's saying, come see the guy. He knew my sin and yet he still loves me and he still embraces me. Help us to be a light. Perhaps this morning in this room, 150 or so people sitting here that there's someone who's never said yes to Jesus never placed their faith in Christ they've never confessed sin and turned from it and turned to Jesus I pray this morning today they would come into the light Lord I pray for all of us that we would be committed to be in the light as we move into a time of response Lord help us to be open to be obedient to be faithful And God, may our community be better for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet?